0: where two friends discuss and drink about their favorite cozy mysteries. I'm Carolyn Wilkie.
1: And I'm Sabrina Malshausen.
0: And today we're reviewing our very last episode of Midsummer Murders. So I was wondering if it would be a good time to actually talk about what we define a cozy mystery as. Because we've been doing this for five episodes now and we've never actually talked about the concept itself of a cozy mystery.
1: A cozy mystery is a murder mystery where you know that A, you're going to figure out who the murderer is. And B, it doesn't affect your life for the rest of your life. (laughs) So that's what a cozy mystery is.
0: For me, I feel like there's never an inherent doubt about the morality of the person trying to solve the crime. I feel like in a lot of the like grim, dark murder shows, there's always a part where it calls into question the person's, not just ethics. Cause obviously throughout Midsummer murders, we've pointed out like Barnaby's very questionable ethics with respect to warrants, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, But like, they're their general morality like they're always in it for the right reasons.
1: Yes. And I feel that same way too. Um I'm I'm generally anti-cop. Um but I'm especially even more anti-cop in these shows where they're they're they have this gray morality and I'm like, dude, I'm trying to get my fantasy on and you're really not helping. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, so cozy mystery. The cops are generally the good guys, even though they still do questionable, shitty cop things.
0: Yeah, I think I think the other thing for me is like, I was talking with a friend about it because you know obviously there's a lot of very big true crime podcasts these days and like true crime shows and like all of that and that. I just can't deal with it. I do yeah, I think there's a, a very much an aspect of fantasy to it in that the bad guy gets caught. Right, Mm -hmm. or we've we've talked about this not necessarily justice but you know who did it you know that karmic justice at the
1: very least is going to happen and we know or I guess the writers are giving us karmic justice because they are telling us with a wink and a nod that you know that once they get to court they're going to have some lawyer and they're going to get off on some technicality so let's just kill them Mm -hmm. And I think there's also a lovely episodic nature
0: to cozy mysteries. And that's true, whether it's it's writing, because a lot of them are adapted from books. Like that's, I think, where the, the term really came from, was that you could like curl up with it by a fire and like feel good and warm inside and just entertain yourself for an evening with a mystery that wasn't going to stick with you in a bad way.
1: Yeah. And you know what? Like I watched the second season of Marcella And she's an awful person. (laughs) But also everyone around her is an awful person. And you just get angry at everything and nothing is solved well. And she, like, and the one good moral guy in the whole story, literally the one good moral guy is uh, one of her supervisors. And you're like, well, and something shit happens to him. So you're like, well, fuck, what am I, what am I doing now? Mm -hmm. Why am I watching this show? I'm looking forward to the third season, let's not lie. It is a good show, but I do not like the lead character in any way, shape, or form.
0: Yeah, and I I almost feel the same way. I just recently watched all three seasons of Broadchurch in kind of one go, and that was a fabulous show. Fabulous Mm -hmm. show. Beautiful show. And well-acted, well-written, fan-fucking-tastic show. God, even when they solved it, did I feel bad about it?
1: Yeah. Oh, the first season. and oh, the going. F- after, I, yeah. Oh. All of it. All of it. Oh God, what a fucking awful mess that was. I can't. I every once in a while that whole season, that whole show just pops in my brain, and I'm like, well, fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there goes my day.
0: Yeah. Every single season is such a gut punch that it takes mm-hmm. you. You haven't. Mm -hmm. I haven't recovered. Yeah. Yet from it, and that's for me one of the like great things about midsummer or any of the cozy mysteries that I've watched is that I can put it on the background. I can relax to it, Mm -hmm. and I can like embroider, and Mm -hmm. that's important. Like that's what I use it for. Is like it's a brain turning off sort of thing, and not a brain keep going sort of thing. Yes. So for this episode of Wine and Murder Night. What are you drinking?
1: I'm drinking a Pinot Grigio. It's called the Covet Collection. It's from Italy. It's oh. literally imported from Italy.
0: Oh. Oh no. I recognize that name.
1: <laughs> and it's a it's a 2016 Pinot Grigio.
0: episode has so many great, like, sound effects in it already. (laughs) That heavy sigh, you're bad. I don't
1: drink Italian wines. Usually when I drink a Pinot Grigio, it's a Pinot Grigio from California, and they're not utterly disappointing. There's not a lot of white wines in my life, so, you know.
0: I'm drinking a Spanish wine tonight, which is Mm. uh, unusual for me. I actually, I quite do like Spanish wines. Um, I, in fact... Most of the time, if I don't get like a Pinot Noir, which is almost exclusively uh, West Coast US, I'll drink something from a Spanish speaking region like Argentina, Chile, or Spain itself. Um, But this is a Tempranillo, which is one of my absolute favorite kinds of wine. And I just don't see it a lot in the stores. This is Monte Monte Castillo. Uh, It's a 2016 Tempranillo from Spain. Do you wanna get right to it?
1: Yes, please. Because we get right to the five British actors, like, immediately.
0: <laughs> I know. So, today we are reviewing Midsummer Murders, Season 1, Episode 5, Death in Disguise.
1: I love this episode. Uh, yeah,
0: right off the bat, like, I like spoilers, I fucking, I, I had so much fun with this episode, but my very first note in this whole book, I wrote three pages of notes,
1: I was so engaged.
0: Uh, but my first one is, this fucking low-rent Merlin.
1: <laughs> my first thought was, holy shit, Lucius Malfoy got old. <laughs> but he's a five British actor. It's Aaron Greyjoy from Game of Thrones. Cheerio, soon. I don't know, I am Michelle. I love you, that's why I goodbye.
0: Holy shit, I did not recognize him. My second, my second note in this is, so we see Low Rent Merlin and kind of immediately kind of gets into this argument with this other guy who look, he's dressed very normally. Like we, is super Merlin because he's like wearing like fucking robes. Like I said,
1: and Lucius Malfoy just got old, all Lucius Malfoy is at, at home in his pajamas.
0: Lucius Malfoy in his pajamas starts arguing with this other dude in very normal clothing. But to me, he looks like the Diet Dr. Pepperman. From those like diet is manly commercials, but old.
1: How old are those Dr Pepper commercials? Because like five years, not not very. Oh, okay. Because I was like, remember, I didn't come to America until I was so <laughs> no, I have no, no fucking clue. If it's if if it's like older than two thousand, I'm not gonna really understand the reference.
0: No, it's a it's a fairly new campaign, and it's all about you know like what. Dudes these days, They're with their beers oh, and like oh, their camping uh, yeah. and shit.
1: I also don't have any commercials because I, I I have YouTube Premium, mm-hmm. um, and I don't watch commercials. I'll have to ask my mother who knows these <laughs> things, uh, or you could just look it up on YouTube. It's you sure can, whatever. It's it so I can watch commercials on my commercial for YouTube. <laughs> I like it.
0: So we've got this Ben Kingsley-looking squint versus Diet Dr. Pepper guy, and they are arguing Mm -hmm. over some business transactions. They said uh, the concept is that they went into business 10 years ago and it was time to finally get out of it. And it's a bit implied that the business is whatever hippy-dippy shit Mm. that not Colin Morgan is into.
1: That, that, um, not, also not Jason Isaacs. When I first watched this, I was like, what the fuck, Jason Isaacs? No, no. But, Aaron Greyjoy, and also Cecil from Velvet Goldmine.
0: I have never seen that.
1: Holy shit, you need to see that film. That is like a defining film for quiz in England. Yeah, I. It's got Jonathan Reese Wise, it's got Ewan McGregor being super gay. Super super gay I'm bad at actually watching good movies maybe I'm looking back with rose tinted glasses, but it's a quite a good film, but I'm sure if I were to watch it now as not a hormonal sixteen year old <laughs> it might be different i don't know
0: I mean no, my really my problem is that like I don't watch a lot of drama because I want to turn my brain off when I watch things, like
1: yeah and i'm I'm kind of the exact opposite. I seek out, uh, because I'm so fucking French, it seems like, the French (laughs) teacher me. I don't know. I watch depressing shit all the time, except if it's got an actor that has died and that has affected me, and then I can't watch it. Mm Mm-hmm. So.
0: Pour one out for Heath Ledger, right?
1: And Robin Williams.
0: Oh, God. Duh. Yes.
1: My mother gets devastated over Robin Williams. You just have to bring up, like, a scene. She got teary-eyed over Mork and fucking Mindy.
0: You know, I can't say... I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna throw shade, because I can't say that if I watched Aladdin today, I wouldn't also get really emotional.
1: I don't think I could watch Aladdin today. I also am one out for fucking Anthony Bourdain. Mm. I'm still not well about that. I don't know why we're getting on this topic. Fucking, what the fuck? Anyway. All right. Well, that's not poor one out for Anthony (laughs) Bodine. Cozy mysteries. Let's continue on.
0: So the next thing that really happens, though, is that their their argument spills over into the hallway, and then all of a sudden, you hear a scream, and Dr. Pepper Guy is dead at the bottom of the stairs. Yep and then we cut to title. So, we join the Barnabys at their house. is carving a fish. Filleting, joining, filleting a fish. <laughs> Correct. Sorry, Come on. Us. He's not you're using what? a filleting knife. He's using yes. like a full-on chef's knife. Well, so... you know a chef's
1: knife is good for many things as long as it's a good chef's knife. I know. You you're the one who went to fucking culinary school. I went to pastry school. Yeah, but you still had to learn fucking knife skills, I'm sure. Yeah, I did have to learn knife skills. I'm pretty good at knives.
0: (laughs) No, I mean, I know it's a filleting of a fish. I have the
1: shittiest knife skills known to man. I can't even, like, cut bread. Like, I'm sure, well, you know, I'm sure the French are horrified at this, but I have shitty knife skills. I have shitty scissor skills. Somewhere in kindergarten, I just didn't get all the necessary skills for life. (laughs) I know how to curl my fingers in so I don't chop them off, but that's about it with my knife skills. Anyway,
0: well, you're still probably one step ahead of Joyce, who's back to not being able to cook in this oh, episode. Lumpy,
1: she makes a bechamel sauce and it's lumpy. Who the fuck makes a bechamel sauce lumpy? That's what they're, they're, they're having fish and bechamel sauce. You it's can tell
0: easier than you would think to no. make a lumpy bechamel.
1: I don't even cook that well and I have never made a lumpy bechamel sauce.
0: You just you have to make sure that you're adding it to the roux correctly, it's fine. Yes. It's not hard, but it happens. I can see it happening.
1: I'm disappointed. Like the bechamel sauce is the easiest thing at come dine with me. If you fuck up the bechamel sauce, you fuck up your dinner party. Ugh. <laughs>
0: See, I'm more concerned about the amount of wine at a dinner party than whether or not the bechamel sauce has lumps. I'm very much like a roll-with-it kind of lump. uh, My menu
1: is perfecto, and if something goes wrong, I turn into a weepy host.
0: (laughs) Again, you need enough wine at your dinner party.
1: (laughs) True. This is true.
0: So we see a woman who we have seen very quickly, like, get into a car, and she is like... Roaring down the road and she like pulls in screeching to the Barnaby's driveway rather than like you know calling an ambulance or anything mm-hmm. and Barnaby is like oh no that's May Cuddle don't let her see me but she just barges in and we get another one of the five British actors
1: goodbye.
0: This was uh, Judy Cornwell, who, if you're a big British TV show fan, probably better know her as Daisy, the sister of Hyacinth Bouquet from Keeping Up Appearances.
1: I had to think about that a little while. But yeah.
0: Fun. Yeah. I was you're like, right. what's funny to me is like, I totally recognized her name in the credits, and I had no idea why I recognized the name in
1: the credits. Nice. Nice.
0: I was, I was very proud of myself on that one actually. I was like,
1: I know that woman. I don't know how I know that
0: woman, which is always the reaction.
1: Yes. Of course. That's why that's why it's a five British actor. You're like, "Holy shit. I've seen this I've seen this actor in 50 different things." Mhm. It's just you know them and then you're on IMDb like hastily like clicking names, sometimes
0: going down like it's almost like a Wikipedia hole when you get into mm-hmm. the British actors. Yeah. But Mae Cuddle is, like, super seriously hippie woo-woo also. She's talking about reading, like, auras and how her aura's pink, but Bill Carter's aura's in the gray. Anyway, we find it, you know, we go to the manor where the... the Oh, out. no.
1: Oh, no. Also, just when you're asking how someone's doing, yes, it could be an aura thing, but that's a regular British answer. the What? Place. Yeah, Jesus Christ, what? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think anything of the auras and magical shit. I'm glad you'll, um. But she was. She was just making a pun out of a normal British answer. Well, I like may cuddle, so I will allow it. I I like may cuddle too. I'm just pointing out that that was it. No, I'm. (laughs) Like it was like, oh okay. You know,
0: every day a bunny. You know,
1: nobody says in the pink in this country.
0: I don't think so. I mean, I've never heard it, clearly. It doesn't mean that it's never been said, but it's not common parlance.
1: I haven't heard it outside of England. Being in the pink means you're, you know, you're in good health, not dead.
0: Big fan of that, but... (laughs) So we get to the golden wind horse estate or whatever the fuck it's called lodge lodge, huh?
1: lodge. lodge. Yeah. yes
0: yes the golden wind horse lodge and we get our official introduction to ian craigie who is talking about his role as the map reader for his fellow pilgrims
1: aka um, master yeah okay
0: yeah
1: fine Fine, Lucius Malfoy in your pajamas. Fine. He had to cover up his wizarding somehow, and I guess this is just how it <laughs> happened. Like, fine, I'll just pretend it's all woo woo and, you know, make money out of it.
0: So we get to see Grandpa Death. He does a quick little, you know, side. It, clearly, the dude just fell down the stairs, but there's no real signs of murder, so they start doing a quick interrogation of all of the residents of the Golden mm-hmm. Wind Horse. Yeah, there was the uh, two, the beavers, with mm-hmm. their, like, little cosmic badges on their foreheads.
1: <laughs> yeah, whatever. I guess opening the third eye, I was like, this is weird. Okay, the thing you have to know about mystical English society is that it's pervasive. Every town has a a witchy bookstore. London has multiple ones. But every town has one. Every town has that mystic woo-woo woman. She's not necessarily the witch. She just didn't ever leave the 60s, um, 70s. And so every single town has one. And they might have gone to India... When they're in their gap year, or they might have gone to Thailand, and, uh, you know, for two weeks on holiday. I mean... <laughs> so, having a group of them is completely normal.
0: Yeah, I mean, you get that a little bit in the U.S., and, like, mm-hmm. okay.
1: You get whole fucking cities that are like that in the U.S. The
0: only one I can really think of is Salem, and that has a little bit of a difference.
1: No, 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 no. Woo cities. Oh, well, yeah. Like, like, uh, cities in California. Like, the nudist colonies in Florida have a sort of woo attached to them. Um, (laughs) like, New Orleans. No, yeah, but
0: that's like, that's not a woo city. That's a,
1: that's a woo city. Yeah, it's a voodoo city.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's where I was going with it, but I was just making the, Making the joke.
1: Yeah, no, no no. <laughs> Definitely. But every town has at least like an occult bookshop. Including Settle, I I think. <laughs>
0: I right next to their painted pots.
1: Well the painted pot's everywhere. That's what you gotta say. That's what you gotta understand. It's in front of everywhere. I think it we even had one up at the house. My favorite part though of this little scene was
0: you know them explaining their like little woo-woo medallions to DS Barnaby, and he goes, he goes very seriously. Did it help? <laughs> like he's he's clearly having fun in his own head, which I do appreciate about DS Barnaby or DC, D.C.I. Barnaby every once in a while. So then we have, of course, he turns everything over to Troy, who notices the first pretty girl he sees,
1: yes, and of course. kind
0: of forgets his all of his words. And we get to meet Tim Riley, who is kind of a, a mute. I guess they, he's probably got like autism or something. Mm-hmm. And we have seen him earlier in the episode, very briefly, uh, crawling along the roof, which becomes a plot point. Um, and as they're leaving, having kind of determined that Bill Carter's death was a an accident, um, we learn again that Troy has forgotten how to drive. He was doing so well, and I'm so full. I So here is my theory. My theory is that this was intended to be the fourth episode.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because, and then that one was intended to be the fifth. Mm-hmm. But this is so much a better episode, so much a better episode, that they switched them around.
1: Yeah. To have a good, to have good good uh, ending.
0: Mm-hmm. So the very, very next thing we see is a... Another pilgrim showing up at the lodge. Five British
1: actor, oh, the no. best! Stephen fucking Moyer! Bill! Bill Compton! Bill? <laughs> Vampire Bill. Ah! Ah! <laughs> it's Bill Compton. Ah! Stephen Moyer. Ah! <laughs> ah! ah. I miss True Blood. A lot.
0: I never watched True Blood, but I read the books.
1: You are missing out.
0: Maybe one day I will watch um, True Blood.
1: It's got, it's got Skarsgård, one of the Skarsgård brothers. Um, it's just good. It's just good. I never read the books because I'm not, I can't read first person books. Mm. I really can't. Like, I get about, like, three pages in and I'm just, I'm, I get such, um, I call it getting the moths. It's, it's a purely, um, my chemical romance term. But, um, <laughs> I gotta tell Gerard Way calls getting secondhand embarrassment the moths, And he's the only person in the world I've ever had say it. But I, I, I say it too. Because saying secondhand embarrassment is just too long. So I say, <laughs> get the moths. So whenever I read a first person book, I get the moths real bad. Real, real bad, just bad. So yeah. I could never, I could never get through True Blood.
0: I I have no problems with it. I also, I don't know. I think the other thing about it is that the books themselves are very kind of. I read a lot of like romance, supernatural type romance novels, yeah. and that's they're they're just on the side of not quite romancy to be super schlocky. Like I mean I think they're still marketed as romance novels, but mm-hmm.
1: Oh um, yeah. No, they go they go right off to the date. there is so much titties and penises and asses and just all of it. <laughs> and you're like, um Am I watching porn? With vampires? Okay. Like it goes it goes way into I mean it's and that is even gay sex. So that's good. But, um, true blood. So, Bill! Bill? <laughs> Vampire Bill! Seeing Bill just made my heart happy. Very, very young Bill. Yes, Bill Compton. I can't even. I can't do it. Um, <laughs> Bill! I don't know how she fucking did it. It was awful. <laughs> Bill, I swear.
0: So Troy and Barnaby discuss Craigie's motivations for mm-hmm. kind of opening this lodge, and Barnaby calls him a good man.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I was I was a little shocked at the lack of cynicism coming from Barnaby, considering he was complaining about how much money that he has been like basically conned out of for Joyce's assertion training.
1: Yes. Oh, I love, I love the assertion training when, uh, Troy is like, Joyce, assertion training, coals in Newcastle. Coals to Newcastle. And I'm like, wow, Troy, you're like an 80 year old grandpa. What the fuck? A, Thatcher ended all the coal mining in Newcastle, so, you know, they do need fucking coals. So, uh, there you go. That's a very old term.
0: Well, Sorry. that's Sorry. definitely one I did not pick up on things, you know, idioms.
1: Okay, so she needs assertion training, like a fish needs a bicycle. Hmm. So she needs assertion training, like Newcastle, which is a coal mining city, needs coal.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't have gotten that one. That, that one's context. So... Yeah, I mean, mostly I was just a little bit surprised that like, from what we've seen up until now, Barnaby's been kind of a, I mean, he's a nice guy in, you know, pleasant guy, I will say, pleasant guy, and, but cynical, like, you know, you know, cautioning, cautioning Troy that a mom could definitely kill his daughter, um, or her daughter, at, like, you know, that kind of thing, like, you never know what to expect from people, you can't. Assume that everybody's who they say they are, and then all of a sudden, we have this guy who is kind of confirmed to be a little bit of a con man at this point,
1: mm-hmm. and he's like, No, he's a really good egg. Yeah, like, okay, maybe, maybe Bonnaby was a secret hippie at university. <laughs> Who
0: knows? We don't hear much about this Barnaby's university life. It's a big plot point for other Barnaby when he comes in in like season 14 or whatever. Brother Barnaby? Cousin Barnaby.
1: Cousin Barnaby. I don't remember their relationship. Yes, cousin Barnaby. It's a big plot point because he's a posh actor. What? This
0: fucking John Mittles did Shakespeare.
1: Yes, he's also a posh actor. It's assumed because Cully's at Cambridge that he, too, probably did as well. So there's no need to talk about it because he's just like, it's continuing the family line.
0: Alright, well, speaking of Cully, she had an audition. Because she's still trying out this actor thing versus finishing her degree at Cambridge.
1: Well, I don't even know what her fucking degree at Cambridge is. Art history or something? Yeah. I don't know. Some ridiculous rich people's major... (laughs) Rich people degree. Not that French literature isn't a rich people degree. Let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> like it's completely fucking useless.
0: That's what my mom got her degree in too. Just so to you know, her undergrad.
1: Well, guess what? It's completely fucking useless. She
0: got her. She got her master's in mechanical engineering. So not, not completely wrong.
1: Fucking useless. <laughs> I'm getting my master's in peace and conflict studies.
0: Yep yeah, that well, that's always an industry that will continue. Uh, unfortunately. Do <laughs> so they? head off to a new ag funeral up at the lodge. You know, they talk to everybody a little bit more, kind of find out more about the whole lodge. And basically from there we see um, the two weird people, you know, the beavers, transporting bees with Trixie in a car. And I thought the bees were actually a really nice callback to the very
1: first episode. I was thinking about that as well.
0: And I was like, I didn't know if they did that on purpose or if it was just something thematically.
1: Beekeeping is actually a very popular hobby and pastime in England. I had bees, we, well, we had bees on the farm. And I love bees. Bees are great. No, bees are great. I
0: just, I, uh, I'm lucky that I'm not allergic. I will, I will count my blessings on that one.
1: I'm not allergic. I've, I've only, but in all my years of beekeeping, I've only been stung twice.
0: That's pretty good. That's pretty
1: good. I love these.
0: So, of course, while they're transporting these guys, they get a flat tire and a storm breaks. And this storm is huge. Like, full-on thunder, lightning, pouring copious amounts of rain. Which
1: all so rare in England that the reactions, especially Tim's reactions, is totally natural. We don't get a lot of thunderstorms in England. We get rain... But those big, huge thunderstorms, a rare, rare event. Rare I love event. big thunderstorms. Me too. And li- when I lived in England, I actually missed those. That was one of the few things that I missed about America, was those big, dramatic thunderstorms. We've been getting them lately because of the heat and then the cold wave will sweep in. And mm-hmm. I just, I adore them. So, But anyway, England doesn't get them a lot. So your reaction to them is quite different than it would be here in America, where they're quite normal.
0: Yeah. So, but they can't find Tim because he's extremely scared of storms. So he's they're running all over. They're like looking for him outside. You know, the car pulls up with Trixie and the Beavers. And anyway, so May and Chris, the name of of Bill,
1: Bill, <laughs> vampire
0: Bill, and Craigie. Are all uh, running around outside looking for Tim, and all of a sudden a cannonball like falls off the roof and almost squishes May, <sighs> but Chris saves her. Chris runs up to the roof. He's looking for Tim. Um, May's like, I feel a regression coming on. Like more woo woo shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but we find out Tim was inside the whole time. Ha ha ha. Oh like, I think they were playing that for laughs, but it was yes. kind of weird. Yeah.
1: What what what's weird about this is Ian and Tim's relationship is never explained. Mm-hmm. Like Ian obviously has adopted this this person, this young man. We never mm-hmm. really understand how old Tim is, but um it's so weird, like it's never really explained why Ian feels so strongly for Tim. And it's not, it's, I'm not saying it's a creepy child molester thing. I'm no. saying the relationship is just not explained.
0: It's its pretty well established that Tim is kind of like mothered by everybody at this compound. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's kind of what he saw Tim, like what Ian was like for him, but Ian was even more so. Like Ian was mm-hmm. very clearly his like closest father figure. Yes. So the next day, everything's bright and sunny again, and Trixie's really excited to get the mail. Chris is being hailed as a hero. And apparently, Chris and Suhami, the object of Troy's horniness, are an item.
1: Ooh.
0: Ooh. But this whole thing is explained through a series of extreme close-ups. hmm And Chris's earring. Like... As much as you want to believe that, like, or as much as they introduce Chris as, like, a harmless dude who is there because he loves Suami and stuff like that, like, mm-hmm. he's wearing a fucking pirate earring. Yes. Like, not even, like, oh, it's the 90s. But that's explained by <laughs> him
1: being a BBC photographer. So, obviously, he's cool. He's from London. So, you know. And Stephen Moya actually wears an earring in real life. His ear is actually pissed.
0: Well, yes, but no. Like, it's not that it's an earring. It's that it's that that earring. Oh,
1: okay, yeah. Earring. Oh, I was about to say, like, it, well, yeah, because he's supposed to be some cool London photographer.
0: But it's like a fucking, like, pirate earring. It's like a fucking pirate earring. Like, there, there's, like, no bigger tip-off than, like, it's not like a chill-ass, like, piercing. It's like a fucking pirate earring. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to let this go. I have an extreme close up of it on my phone and I'm just going to send it to people at some point. <laughs> like spam the group chat with pirate earring. I can't. I'm not over it. I'm not over it. Uh I'm also not over
1: Suhami's uh extreme eyeliner. I'm 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 really just not over her cheap crystal bindi.
0: Yeah, that was my other note. Uh Suhami's makeup and bindi.
1: Like, I wasn't over that. Like, I'm like, look, darling, I know you'd probably want to get in touch with your third eye and open up your chakras or whatever the fuck. But bindis are an important spiritual jewelry for Hindu women. If you're going to go down that path, that is your right to seek that path. Hindu is actually slightly a closed religion. They don't usually take converts. But make it pretty. Make it nice. <laughs> like make Listen, it Listen, if you're
0: going to culturally appropriate, appropriate nicely.
1: No, appropriate correctly. At least, you know, go all the fuck out. Do the, the do the red makeup on the on the whole fucking third eye. Make that Bindy big. Sorry, that. So, <laughs> I was distracted by that one crystal dot in the middle of her head. There was
0: so much distracting about this episode, which is, I think, part of why I liked it. It was so entertaining.
1: This was so great. I'm, I'm reading random facts about Stephen Moya right now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So the beavers are out to go look at the bees or whatever and make sure they're safe. Uh, but really, they're trying to sell a story And because they are worried. They're, they're literally like, they're worried, but also they're trying to make a buck. But the idea mm-hmm. is that there have been two attempted murders now at the lodge. And that's the story they're selling. And to kind of follow up and drive that point home, both Chris and Arno take the cannonball that fell off the roof to Barnaby. Barnaby is, again, for somebody who has been very cynical for four episodes up to now, kind of not buying it. Until May reveals that she heard somebody in Bill's room talking to him. And not Bill, but just like Dr. Pepper guy. Yeah, yes. Bill Carter. And she also talks a little bit about her regression, which is going to be a Roman poison taster, Gaius Quintus. Yes. my fa- Actually, kind of my favorite scene that comes out of this is Troy doing a really good impression of May? Yes. Yeah. I was like, "Oh, you wanted to actually flex your acting muscles. That's great.
1: <laughs> there is no Gaius Quintus, by the way. In Are case you? you're curious. I,
0: thanks thanks for clearing that one up.
1: <laughs> there was a, an emperor whose full name was Gaius Messius Quintus Trojanus Decius Augustus. He was an emperor. So there you go.
0: Not not a poison taster.
1: Not a poison taster. An actual emperor. She should have gone big. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so in the very next scene, we kinda get a a glimpse into some tertiary characters. We get a one of my favorite scenes that we ever you know, kinds of scenes I should say, that we get on Midsummer Murders. A hell yeah, drunk housewife.
1: <laughs> Another one. Another one. Another
0: one. And so we get to the second most distracting thing of this entire episode.
1: Did you see those fucking lamps? Um, the... You mean the squid lamps? Yes. Yeah, the, the white mushroom
0: lamp. dick lamps. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, oh, I... Okay. Jellyfish dicks. All the same.
0: Yeah, similar that we Similar looking. Similar in shape.
1: <laughs> I mean, the dome. The dome. I didn't, like... I didn't... It's I the didn't dome. take a step back and go that's a penis penises are generally uncircumcised in England so they don't quite look like that soft I mean well, hard everything looks the same but um it's an android so, penis lamp I just thought it was a jellyfish Jesus Christ <laughs> I don't see penises in everything unfortunately fortunately my microphone looks like a penis <laughs> mine has a sock over it, so I have an actual um, pop cover on mine. Oh, so it, nice. it just it does look like a, a penis. I don't know <laughs> why I thought I would need a pop cover because I don't pop my peas. All my bees because I'm a French speaker, so I don't actually pop them. But I got one anyway because I thought it would look more like a microphone. <laughs> well, now it just looks like a dick. Now it just looks like an uncomfortably large penis.
0: <laughs> so it's revealed that uh, Suhami is the the daughter of the unpleasant man that's on the phone to the drunk cokehead wife.
1: No, it's ketamine. Is it? She pulls too much out. Yeah, it's ketamine. Okay. She pulls too much out. I was like, I was watching that and I was like, mm, too big a line to be cocaine. That's well, K. okay.
0: Okay. I don't... It's not that I disbelieve you in, like, the real world. <laughs> but obviously... In the fiction of *Midsummer Murders, though.
1: Doing coke. But I was like, in real life, that's ketamine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is one of those unfortunate... I didn't even write that down. That's just been on my mind the entire time. <laughs> I was like, that line is too thick to be cocaine. It's ketamine. Which is the most popular drug in clubs and bars in England. Just as a aside, I don't do ketamine. I don't do any drug. Before we continue, I do no drug except alcohol, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I have hung around enough people to know. Also Cambridge. I mean,
0: <laughs> I think nah, we can uh, just also Cambridge. Okay, That's good.
1: Just Cambridge. So. Uh. It, it was too thick of a line, and I was like, that was poor research.
0: <laughs> do, do more drugs before you write your next episode, guys.
1: Exactly. I was like, and I was like, that's absolutely bullshit. You know that's too thick of a line to be cocaine. All of you know that.
0: <laughs> so...
1: I was truly distracted. Distracted.
0: So, the reason they were calling, talking to each other is that they are uh, going to the lodge for Suhami's birthday the next day, and we get a really tense convo between uh, Guy and Ian Craigie.
1: It distracted me that they pronounced it Guy, but, you know, whatever.
0: Well, I mean, that that's not surprising.
1: Yeah, they can't pronounce words.
0: Yeah, and uh, so they go to dinner, and the mom shows up. She's drunk as fucking fuck.
1: And possibly high on ketamine slash Prob-
0: <laughs> Probably high also, and Guy, during dinner, like not even like after dinner, but like during dinner, passes over a, not even a card, just like a full-on check in an envelope to Suhami and it's her inheritance because he's a very, very rich kind of mob-style entrepreneur and it's three million pounds. Have
1: you seen Marcella? No. Damn it. DS Jones plays Guy Gamlin, basically a guy like Guy Gamlin. And in a scene he he turns on this giant industrial fan and just starts blowing pounds, like massive amounts of pounds onto his zero hours contract workers.
0: And the scene made baby,
1: see, Marcella is always on my mind. <laughs> and it it is DS Jones. It's DS Jones playing a most horrific man. Oh, I love DS Jones. DS Jones was my favorite detective sergeant. Oh, absolutely. I would bang him from here to Sunday.
0: Absolutely agreed.
1: <laughs> uh, agreed. <laughs> sorry, sorry, that's <nice laughs> an aside. But it reminded, like, he's a he's one of those pure capitalists. Mm Hmm. Which is weird because Britain has no problem with capitalism, but you were supposed to hate Guy. Mm Hmm. But then I thought, oh, this is the nineties. This is this is the nineties. This is post Thatcher, and she was she had the biggest dick for capitalism in the history of the world, other than Reagan. You know, Reagan and her had two giant dicks for capitalism, and it fucked over both their countries. So, so it was like, remember Thatcher Capitalist? Remember, remember, weren't they awful?
0: What this guy reminded me of is the guy from Rock and Roller. Yeah. And in fact, he reminded me of him so strongly, I had to look up his actor to make sure he wasn't the guy from Rock
1: and Roller. Isn't it? Like, like he looks so, guy looks so familiar, but he, he doesn't ping anything for me.
0: Like he's been in a lot of stuff. I looked him up. He's been acting in stuff. Like he is technically, I guess, a five British actor. But I didn't recognize him from any. I
1: mean, I recognize all the shows he was in. Right. So I might have seen him in an episode and just didn't think about it. Um, he was one of those Thatcher capitalists that you're supposed to hate him because at this point everyone fucking hated Thatcher. Ding dong, the witch is fucking dead. <laughs> this this wine is still gross. just as a general observation. Keep drinking. It'll get better. I'm trying. Uh, Now I'm just sweaty and sad.
0: (laughs) So Suhami takes her entire three million pound inheritance, which again, at this time, was about six million Mm dollars, and gives it straight to Craigie, the master. Oh. So here's the other most shocking part of the scene. Far more shocking than the three million pounds going to the master, because you could see that coming from a mile Mm -hmm. away. Yeah. But the shocking part was that this was her 18th birthday. Yeah. And I understand, you know, I mean, obviously I've seen enough shows about various British cultural, I've seen enough shows set in Britain to know (laughs) that their version of adulthood is slightly different than our version of legal adulthood.
1: If you remember from Harry Potter, Harry comes of age at 17 and loses right. his magical protections. So 17 is considered the um, 18 is when you can legally drink everything under the sun. But 17, like pretty much a legal adult. Um, they don't do, uh, teenagers still don't get charged with adults in England. Um, but it's just one of those coming of age things.
0: Yeah. So I knew that there was at least a plausibility of Suhami Coming and living at the lodge at seventeen-ish, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like I knew that, but like at the same time,
1: you're out of high school at this point and doing your gap year before university or doing your A levels. So seventeen is the first kind of taste of adulthood, where you're you're truly out of secondary school and about to start on either career, university, whatever. So seventeen is actually just kind of a it's a it's a nothing year.
0: Right, and I, I understood that, but at the same time, really what bothered me is that she is very clearly dating this Chris guy who is- A
1: much older man. As
0: He's... we know, a fucking pirate.
1: Yes, in his late 20s.
0: Yeah, in his mid to late 20s. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's where I was like, oh, fuck.
1: It's gross. It's, it's all gross. Uh, not gonna lie.
0: So we move right on to the regression scene. Mm-hmm. Which I fucking
1: loved. I fucking yeah. loved. Oh, and- gross! I'm sorry. <laughs> keep keep that in mind. Uh, Stephen Moyer would have been 29.
0: Uh,
1: yeah, he wouldn't have even been Like, <laughs> I mean, he is obviously playing a younger man, but he's almost 30.
0: Yeah. Well, so here, so okay, so moving on to the aggression because we have <laughs> to move. I'm sorry. I got really distracted. Judy Cornwell leans, leans into this scene. I fucking loved it. Yeah, I
1: love that they, I like that they did dress her up as Gaius. Yes! Like, it's great. They did like, like a
0: full-on flashback, and they dressed her up as Gaius. It was amazing. In fact, my notes are the actual goddamn flashback!
1: And so it's, it plays with this idea that she's truly having this flashback, but she's also probably on shrooms.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but the lights are all down for this. She swoons, people catch her, the lights go back up, and then there's a knife sticking out of Craigie. Yep. <laughs> he's like pointing dramatically. I mean, he's very dramatic death. Very dramatic yes. death. So Barnaby and Troy get called back in. And uh again, lovely little aside from Barnaby, and he's like, Well, Troy goes, stabbing, sir. <laughs> Barnaby just, like, looks at it.
1: <laughs> you know, Troy doesn't get a lot of smart-ass lines because he's supposed to be the dumb one. So this was... I was like, yes, Troy gets the smart-ass line because that would, that would have definitely been a Barnaby line.
0: Yeah. 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 That was great. Uh, but Grandpa Death finds out that Craigie's hair is a wig.
1: Yep. And Troy's like, I knew there was something
0: yeah he's even a lower rent Merlin than we expected. I know, but we get a really interesting scene the next kind of scene where Barnaby is blaming himself for Craigie's death mm-hmm. because he didn't he totally thought the first death was an accident, which was a very reasonable assumption yeah. based on the clues we had at our disposal but
1: uh but now a second president did.
0: But now a second person is dead, and now he's actually starting to take things a little bit more seriously. You know, what May was saying uh, about her, her close call and about what she heard, overheard in Bill's room.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So they go back up to the lodge the next day uh, when everybody's getting ready for the funeral, and they have Trixie mark out kind of where everybody was standing right before the death. And the reason they do talk to Trixie is because she seems a little more down-to-earth than a lot of the other lodge-goers. But he also points out that Trixie has a bruise and a scar.
1: The way he asks is, like, why do you wear so much makeup? Mm-hmm. And she like, she gets annoyed. Like, fuck you, I can wear as much makeup as I want. I wear shit of makeup because I still have acne scars. I'm almost 33. Fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> thanks! Thanks for... Pointing out all my insecurities, I appreciate that. So Trixie had a right to be a little annoyed with that cheeky-ass question.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Barnaby also finds out about the Beavers' sellout because his phone rings in the middle of the interview. Mm -hmm. They're trying to imply that uh, Guy Gamlin killed the master because of the three million pounds. So he goes to talk to Gamlin. Mm -hmm. And it's a very dude convo with Barnaby and Gamlin. And I mean, I think he played it the right way, but at the same yeah. time, it was one of those things where like you clearly I didn't trust Gamlin's answer for a fucking minute.
1: Well, y- you're not supposed to literally everything Gamlin is Trump and nothing that comes out of his mouth is true or relevant or good. Anyway, sorry, fuck Trump. <laughs> Obviously.
0: Fuck Gamlin, fuck Trump. <laughs> So anyway, they he was he was like, oh, I was just worried about Suhami being used, whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, we find out that Chris was a re- BBC reporter in Rwanda, um, and he like talks about a super traumatic backstory.
1: Trauma, trauma, trauma! White people, white people going to Africa and being traumatized. Oh well, my fucking god, no, uh, no. Obviously, for the BBC, kind of an important story, but I yeah, like, oh, I, I really mean, especially
0: cool. at this time because this is. This is the 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 Hutu and the Tutsi civil war
1: uh, it was all very like obviously important not that wasn't like
0: well I, so but I do think again this is also kind of one of those cultural things that if you don't know your world history, you might not pick up on that.
1: yeah, you might not pick up on why he would come to this place to try and deal with the trauma of seeing a genocide,
0: right. Well, and he wouldn't even necessarily pick up on the fact that he's talking about a genocide. Because he does talk about, like, people, like, doing the worst things to each other, but
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's, it's a very, very polite way of talking about a genocide.
1: Well, that's very British. The, the British are very understated about things like that. But as colonialists, Rwanda is a French colony. But mm-hmm. as colonialists, whenever you get to talking about problems in the colonies you get this overwhelming sense of guilt. Not white guilt, just you were a colonialist. You were a colonizer. I think a lot of journalists feel a sense of guilt of not being able to do something, of trying to be impartial observers during something like a genocide. And (laughs) photographers feel the most PTSD about this because they're they're photographing this and it's for consumption. Someone's going to watch this and get it in their eyeballs and maybe not do anything about it. But the British are still very understated, but it's very interesting that he would come to the place like the Lodge to find solace in what he saw. Mm -hmm. Which is something people do nowadays. (laughs) Depressing. I'm so sorry. (laughs) This wine is so bad, it's making me upset. (laughs)
0: So they also can't find the will. They can't find Ian Craigie's will. Um, but they do find out that Ian Craigie wanted to change his will right mm-hmm. before he ended up dying. Mm-hmm. Back at the station. <laughs> I liked I liked this unintentional rhyme rhyme. Uh, it was he was like, Troy, any joy? <laughs> I know you didn't mean it that way, but but Troy did actually find out that the Beavers used to own a brothel in Hull
1: which is illegal and why the fuck in Hull? But anyway, I just really liked that the beavers owned a brothel. Mhm. Oh, that's why. Well. <laughs> like the whole time I was like, "They're from Yorkshire. They're from Yorkshire." They're from Oh, they're from Hull. Okay, that explains it.
0: There's nothing much in Hull,
1: so having a having a fucking brothel is the most exciting thing there is in Hull. <laughs>
0: So Barnaby again in a kind of a big breach of protocol is discussing the case with his wife and daughter at dinner. But the most shocking thing to me was that they had the TV on when they were trying to have like a nice family dinner in the background.
1: Like that was not raised that way. Like the TV was off at dinner time. Yes. But that is such a middle class thing that it's just it just Gives background noise. Uh, maybe not a middle class. Um, they're trying to be... Okay. I don't, I don't know how to explain this. But they don't have... You notice they don't really have a separate dining room dining room. It's kind of abutted to the living room. So they're not rich enough for a separate dining room. Mm-hmm. So they were probably in the living room and moved to the dining room. They have a breakfast like an eat-in kitchen. And then they have, like, an eating area in the in the living room. So it's kind of, I'm assuming that they just moved from the living room into the dining room to eat.
0: Yeah, but and also, didn't turn off you the just TV. turn your, you turn off your TV. You, you turn off the TV.
1: Oh, fuck off. We all know that every single person on this podcast, which is two, <laughs> sits in front of the telly. To eat and watch YouTube videos or Netflix or whatever the fuck. But
0: no, only when I'm alone, not when it's family dinner.
1: Uh, well, you know, I haven't had a family dinner in a really long time. But true, we do. I actually, I had I had lunch with my mom last week. Did you have the TV on? I don't fucking remember. We have a separate dining room.
0: I'm just saying, case rested. You don't have the TV on when you eat. English
1: English people have the TV on when they eat.
0: (laughs) It's true. We're going to get like five people adding us. We don't have the TV on when they eat. But because they have the TV on when they eat, they find out that Chris Wainwright isn't Chris Wainwright. Because he just got married.
1: The reason the wedding would be on the telly was because he married a royal. Which is alluded
0: to later, but I wouldn't have picked that up. Didn't pick that up clearly. Mm-hmm. So the next scene we really get is Chris and Suhami talking about like they're laying in the grass, but they are laying in the grass right in the middle of all these goats, mm-hmm. where they poop. <laughs> like, have you ever had like Have you ever had goats? Yes, so I used to have goats. And they don't give a flying fuck about- We had goats
1: on the estate because I learnt to make goat's milk cheese, because of course I did.
0: But also, why would you lay in the grass where the goats poop?
1: Because you don't care about goat poop, I guess? I don't know. Goat poop isn't that bad. They just eat grass, so it's not like the poop is that bad.
0: No, but it's like tiny little pellets everywhere. You can totally get it everywhere.
1: Yeah, but it's so crumbly and shit that it doesn't really, I don't know, goat poop doesn't really do anything. You step on it and you're like, oh, it just crumbled into the dust. Okay, cool. That,
0: that is not my experience with goat poop, but sure. It's
1: true, true. You're not wrong. But <laughs> ruminating animals' poop isn't usually that bad.
0: Uh, I mean, I had horses also. Like,
1: in- horses don't ruminate. And they eat yeah. they're, whole, they're they're bigger, so their poo is bigger, but it's <laughs> mostly hay, so even see i I poo doesn't really the only poo that bothers me is Great Dane poo because it's massive and meaty <laughs> um Great Dane poo is the only poo that's ever bothered me, like cows you use it to like heat your home like i'm not i'm not poo I'm not too fussed by poo, human poo and dog poo. Only two poos that bother me. Everything else, it's like, mostly fucking grass, so whatever. And hey, whatever the fuck.
0: Anyway! So we find out he's Andrew Carter, Bill's nephew, and not, you know, Chris Wainwright. And uh, we get to see all of his chest hair, uh, which I appreciated. Thank you, 90s. Did, um, did Bill have
1: chest hair? Bill? <laughs> Vampire Bill. Bill Compton shirtless. I <laughs> Ah, he had chest hair too! Okay. Neil had chest hair. They looked for
0: the will! Troy did something smart. But I didn't actually write down what Troy did that was smart.
1: Remember that Troy knew that he, or Troy assumed that he was Cranley at this point. Another dude. Mm-hmm. And uh, the dude had had like 6,000 quid or 6 million, no 6,000 mm, quid looked under the, the floorboards. Yeah. Under the floorboards. And he was like, hey, old habits die hard.
0: Yes, that's right. So anyway, they find the will.
1: This, oh, this line makes me aggravated. Fucking oh.
0: <laughs> So they find the will. Barnaby goes up in the tree to talk to Tim. Uh, Tim says that Craigie was killed by magic.
1: I love this scene where he goes up in the tree because he's careful about touching Tim.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He does, and it's almost like he waits for Tim's consent. And when he does something scary, he stops and waits for Tim to react to him. This is very early in autism research, which i'm I'm gonna you know or very early in dealing with people with mental who have mental deficiencies and It's just like him with when he deals with gay people. I think this shows this this really odd sensitivity of Barnaby's. Mm -hmm. where he's sensitive to people who are on the margins of society, which no cop would ever be. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I'm getting like emotional about this scene, but it is really touching that he understood Tim's needs.
0: It's what makes Barnaby a likable character, even when he doesn't necessarily treat the... Uh,
1: the law, like he's supposed to. Yes. What is frustrating is there are moments like this for Barnaby where he's oh, op- like he's actually open-minded about sexuality, gender mm-hmm. identity, things like that, and he's careful with people who aren't on, who are um, nor atypical, and so it's frustrating when he does shit like ignore like we would call it the Fourth Amendment, but where, where he ignores shit like needing a warrant. It's frustrating that he does shit like that and then he does sensitive shit. Mm-hmm. It would be okay for him to be consistent, for him to not be the gung-ho, no, let's really wait for a warrant, because it wouldn't take that long. Right. It wouldn't be any different, the the show wouldn't be any different, so it's so frustrating when he does shit right, and then you turn around, but maybe, you know, the fourth episode was just so bad that it was, you know, I'm going to count it as out of character. But anyway, I love this scene because it once again showed Barnaby understanding people who are marginalized, which cops never do.
0: So Troy then goes to talk to Mrs. Cook, who knew uh, Craigie and a uh, Dr. Pepper guy in their <laughs> youth. I forget his name at this point. I'm like, I'm a little more than a half a bottle in. I'm almost a full bottle in at this point, so we're doing good that I'm still talking.
1: I'm uh, half a bottle in as well, which is rare because this is so shit- I'm you just gotta li- keep
0: drink. You gotta power through. You gotta power I'm through. I'm
1: literally just contemplating this pouring it down the loo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so-
0: nope, you gotta finish recording first. So, Corey is visiting Mrs. Cook. He's super horny for her cake. She recognizes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> cake by the ocean. I was- <laughs> cake-, cake has always meant eating ass in any English dialect. So, like, yeah. I was like, yeah, okay, what the fuck? <laughs> I didn't know Troy was in. well Troy an equal opportunist. He's like, "Uh, well, Schwame or whatever the fuck her name is is taken." And I've had way more to drink in this episode than I've had in a, a, <laughs> any other episode. Let me just tell you, uh, what the fuck is it? Schwame, Schwimi, Schwame, Suhami. Suhami. Salami. <laughs>
0: so Shawarma. anyway, Shwarma. we gotta move on. We gotta move on. We have to move on. Cuddle calls, and... Cuddle? Guy is dead! Cuddle? And Trixie's gone. Trixie. Trixie. Yeah, the girl with the makeup. Uh, So Grandpa Death, so we're back in the morgue, Grandpa Death is in his third appearance in this episode, confirms that Craigie had cancer. So he actually did know he was going to die before he changed his will. And they also go and find Trixie, who is with her lover in his house with the open door, which we, you know, noted last time. You don't actually need a warrant to go inside a house with an open door. Yes. But they also find out how the knife was carried into the regression room because she had, you know, they, they were all wearing these robes with these, like, embroidered, Things I don't know. Mm-hmm. There was thread. There was a thing.
1: And both salami and cuddle had the same bag.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and we find out why she was covering up a bruise with makeup. It's that her lover's ex-wife was a husband beater and also hit her
1: spouse abuser, which is really interesting. That there, there was a big campaign, um, in the '90s in England. This is this is another you might not know. But there was a big campaign mm-hmm. in the um in the 90s about spousal abuse including women on men spousal abuse which was which is woefully underreported because mm-hmm. obviously you know patriarchy demands that men be able to you know sustain themselves.
0: So yeah, I mean I thought that was actually a really interesting tie up for her story, but they
1: it was kind of shoehorned in.
0: Yeah. It, it didn't add it, a
1: lot. It did add a lot, and it was shoehorned in because of that PSA going around in the nineties.
0: The very special episode of Midsummer Murders. Yeah,
1: and I only know about that because because I, I was I in England? I, I think I was. Wait, nineteen ninety eight? No, I was in Japan at the time, but um, I learned about it later. There's still occasionally like spousal abuse PSAs about both men and mm-hmm. women. So,
0: from there, Troy and Barnaby head to the pub, like all good British cops.
1: And Troy is drinking a fucking light beer. Pansy.
0: (laughs) Lager. Lager. He's just drinking. That's, I will say, having been to England, you know, a couple times now, Mm -hmm. and having been to Ireland as well, like, I mean, it's, it's very much... That kind of, that whole area does the same thing where it's like, you don't order a beer by name, you order the type of beer. Mm -hmm. And that, as a craft beer fan, I'm just like, it makes, my anxiety goes real high. But Mm -hmm. I don't like lagers. I don't, I don't
1: like lagers. Like I would have to order something by name, like
0: to get the one that I wanted.
1: I'm an ale girl, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, I will drink a vice beer, but only if it's German. Mm-hmm. So because I fucking call it a vice beer, obviously. But um, it needs to be bread.
0: at the pub, though. Barnaby gets his aha moment while watching the dart player throw darts. Ah. Then we go back to the lodge. Uh, the beavers are wearing the same outfits, which I didn't recognize until this very moment. But yeah, the beavers are totally dressed in the same outfits, just so you know, this whole time, if you didn't think they were weird before. And Barnaby confronts uh, Arla. what's his fucking name, Ar- Argo? Argo. Arno. Arno and Tim. Arno about the death of Carter, because he knows what happened. Um, but it really does come out that it was an actual accident.
1: Uh-huh. Uh,
0: Dr. Pepper had been arguing with Ian, and Ian obviously had a very close relationship with Tim, and Tim pushed Dr. Pepper, and he just like straight up fell down the stairs. Yep. Um, but also we get a flashback to that moment And we Mm -hmm. get to see one of the worst stunt falls that you will get to
1: see ever. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: (laughs) It was so good. But they don't quite solve everything. Um, So they go back to the police station and Barnaby gets on the phone with Spain. And it was a really great, (laughs) great line. And I was like... I, di- I didn't really know how to feel about this, but I was like, this is awesome. This is an excellent snapshot of white history or, mm-hmm. or really like any sort of English speaking history, frankly. And he goes, it used to be that foreigners didn't understand you. You'd shout at them until they did, but now they speak better English than you do.
1: <laughs> that was absolutely my favorite line in almost the entire show. I mean, other than... um. I'm, when the Gamblins talk, remember... uh Oh, not the Gamblins, Trixie and Guy. Remember the quantity, but not the quality. Yeah, that would... That was one of my favorite lines, but... Because I actually wrote that down. But that one right there, I was like, that's literally what British people still fucking do.
0: I mean, it's what most most Americans do, too.
1: Most tourists, not gonna lie, yeah. most English-speaking tourists will do it.
0: But... He gets the answers he needs on the phone with Spain.
1: But it's he also secretly knows Spanish. He,
0: he knows how to say thank you and goodbye. Uh-uh.
1: Late on in the episode when we reveal the killer, he quotes the uh police op- the um the uh owner of the circus the circus nacional uh,
0: Mm-hmm. So um, That was yeah. French, girl.
1: Uh, oh, <laughs> fuck off! National!
0: So Barnaby gets off the phone with Spain and rushes to the, the estate. Um, he finds Tim and Andrew Carter wrestling on the roof, and Tim gets, like, thrown through the greenhouse glass. But in quick thinking, Barnaby pulls a couch underneath him so he doesn't really get hurt. And it comes out that Andrew is the one who killed Craigie because he was an excellent knife throater, thrower, (laughs) knife throater at the Circus National. Yes. At first, he's like accusing Suhami of killing Guy because she hated her father, but Andrew comes clean.
1: He Andrew, Oh well, guy's dead. Um, I didn't care. I was like, no oh, one
0: cares that guy's dead except for like
1: But of course the law cares that said.
0: Bar- Barnaby and his attack of the law, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: The law cares that guy says. But I liked what Um Andrew said. I almost wanted to call him Because, mm-hmm. you know Or be Bail Vampire <laughs> Bail. Uh I liked what Andrew said that he was like, Give me my pills like I was a servant. Mm -hmm. and I was like well yeah I mean at that point when you're dying you're not gonna you know be like please
0: (laughs) right I mean that yeah but also he was a terrible dude Terrible. yeah so I
1: was like I was like I understand I wouldn't let him die and in this one and in this
0: one you actually do get a little bit of like happy ending for Suhami even though like her dad is dead like
1: she always will have the three million pounds
0: well there's that but also like she, her mom is actually coming to the lodge for rehab,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is that kind of a happy ending-ish.
1: Maybe she's coming through.
0: She is attempting to come for rehab.
1: Exactly.
0: But the button on the episode again is uh, Cully gets her part, so they are out celebrating, and Barnaby is tracked down by the journalist that the Beavers were selling the story to. Mm-hmm. And he sells out the beavers and talks-
1: Which is such an ass- That was the dickiest dick move. I hated that. Like, out of hey. all of it. Like, hey. I, Yes.
0: Like father, like daughter. Always
1: snitch, always snitch
0: on the geriatrics.
1: Always <laughs> snitch on the geriatrics. very true. So did you figure it out? Yes! As soon as you learn that Chris... Fuck me. (laughs) As soon as as you figure out Chris Wainwright isn't Chris Wainwright, I was like, oh, there's a murderer. Also, I've watched this episode more than twice Mm -hmm. at this point. I fell in love with Stephen Moyer. In True Blood, so I watched all of his shit, including this film that's set in Australia and that has Travis Fimmel in it. I watched it for Travis Fimmel, and then Stephen Moyer showed up, and I was like, A+. It's actually a pretty good film. Anyway, but that's not the point. That's not the point. So I've seen this episode multiple times because of Stephen Moyer. So, um, but... The very first time I watched it, I was like, ah, he... A tsunami Salami whatever the <laughs> <name is. laughs> she had a fake name too but she had a reason for it and she was quite honest with it and that always happens in television shows you're like oh, mm-hmm. I have a secret I'm actually a princess or whatever the fuck but mm-hmm. as soon as Chris Wainwright and Reese show up on the screen you're like haha, yeah and then he's like oh I'm Bill Carter's nephew yeah you're the murderer Right. that. Mm-hmm. Right, that's
0: okay. I can't confess that I figured it out. I definitely figured my thing was that I figured out it was knife throwing like right off the bat. Like this is I think the only, second, only the second time I've actually seen this episode but I was like oh no totally it was a knife throwing. Like the way he was sticking out of his chest they found no prints they found no fucking blood on anybody like it was clearly a thrown knife. Like I knew that off the bat. So I've got two other fairly obvious questions. Did you like this episode? Loved it! I I had this was such fun.
1: Loved it more than I hate the shit wine. <laughs> yeah. Did,
0: did you like your wine?
1: No. <laughs> Fuck Italian wines forever. I should have gone. Look, I was in the I was in my package shop and I was in my office. And um, I was in an office and it took me, there was only one tiny little rack of white wines and I should have gotten the fucking sangria at this point, like, cause at least I would have had more fun with it. Oh God, this wine is shit. <laughs> Do not drink this wine. Anyone listening to it, please God, don't drink, A, don't drink Italian wines. Cause fuck that. Whoever said Italy had good wines was lying That's not true. I have had good wine in Italy. Oh, no. Fuck that. You had French wines that they put (laughs) fake labels on. (laughs) You're such a fucking snob. Uh, I'm not a snob. You're so a snob.
0: You're the snobbiest snob that I snob with.
1: I've been to Italy multiple times and drank water the entire fucking time.
0: God, you're terrible. That is no way to live life. Wine is delicious in Italy. Don't listen to Sabrina.
1: I snuck French wine into Italy because I was like, fuck this noise. It's so bad.
0: It's not. Okay, so we have some very exciting news. So we put out the poll of what to watch next No, 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 okay, time.
1: okay. Like, she says we. Oui. Carolyn. Carol, what, what do you... Carolyn, Carolyn, thank you. Okay, <laughs> Carolyn runs the entire Twitter. I occasionally remember to retweet shit, and sometimes answer a question or two when it comes to Britishisms.
0: We put together the. No, 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 list no, 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 no. We...
1: Carolyn, Carolyn, <laughs> Carolyn, Carolyn, <laughs> stop lying. I'm a, I'm a bad social media.
0: No, 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 no. What I'm saying is, we put together the list that you guys
1: voted on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We put we the list. We did that together. And then she did the poll.
0: And I did the poll, because I know how to do the Twitters. And-
1: I, <laughs> Fuck off! I want to be a refugee lawyer. What the fuck do I need to know about social media? <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't even on purpose. That wasn't even like a joke. That was, I actually made it but... my god. The show just
0: came out to its own.
1: I just, I just, (gasps) I just. Okay, so
0: we have some good, exciting, fun news. We have some exciting, fun news. I promise. Um. So, we put out the poll of what you guys- No, no, know. no, 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 I, I, I,
1: why do you keep saying me? Because because we?
0: Because we put the poll together together, I just literally wrote the words, it's it's okay. fine.
1: Okay, she posted the tweet.
0: I posted the goddamn tweet. And you guys voted! You guys
1: voted, so- So many people voted! Next, we're watching Father Brown. <laughs> I Father love Father Brown! Brown. <laughs> Carolyn hates Father Brown, and I love Father Brown. And she I don't was, hate Father Brown, you so I totally totally, didn't totally like, you like it. Did. You told I didn't me you did like, like it. it, and I love Father Brown because it's my favorite period in history. And um, we're gonna thought. talk about all
0: this next time. We're gonna talk about yes. all this next time. Yes. But so next time, no, if you want to watch along with my, us?
1: On my boobs. Okay, cool.
0: <laughs> next time, if you want to watch along with us, season one, episode one, Father Brown, the Hammer of God.
1: I love Father Brown.
0: <laughs> we'll find out if I love Father Brown. <laughs> you can. Spoilers,
1: she doesn't. She does not. She does not.
0: <laughs> you can follow along with us on social media. I'm at Classlicity.
1: And I am at SDM Rights.
0: And you should definitely follow our official Twitter, which is at Wine Murder Night, so that you can vote in our polls because every five episodes we change what show we watch. So go ahead and review us on iTunes if you enjoyed the show. Tell your friends to listen to the podcast. This was probably one for the ages. Uh, or even have a watch party. Do, you know, watch Father Brown, then listen to the episode together, talk about what we got right, got wrong.
1: No, I get nothing wrong about this because this is my jam.
0: Buy the wines that we try and then tell us... Don't, don't, like please those. do
1: not buy tonight's wine. For me. Oh, what
0: would you give your wine out of 10?
1: Negative 50.
0: I would give this, if you can find this Tempranillo, it's real good. This is like a, this is a 9 out of 10 Tempranillo. Just so you guys, know.
1: guys do not buy this wine. Do not buy any Italian wine, but it's well, you do not buy this wine. <laughs>
0: I would like to say thank you to Anton Koryakov uh, for letting us use the song Simple Life as our theme song. It's off the album Restart or Restart. I still don't know because there's some weird capitalization there. I feel
1: like we should be saying spasiva. He sounds
0: Russian. Oh, he is to- totally Russian.
1: Okay, spasiva. Till next time.
0: Bye!